Have you ever wondered how your sales performance compares against your competitors and peers? The B2B Sales Benchmark Report provides the definitive guide to what success looks like in 2021. See how you compare in terms of win rate, sales cycle, average deal value, relationships, and engagement. You can see the results and get the full report at ebster.com forward slash B2B dash sales dash benchmarks. A top tip for me is to keep things objective rather than subjective. So if you imagine if someone's got criteria for how they might um, assess a lead or assess a deal and they say, well, I kind of take a gut feel on it. Um, I tend to know these things. Ask them to actually write down what those criteria are. Is it the size of the company they're looking at? Is it the uh, length of the call they had with the prospect? This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales ops onto the show to deconstruct the what, why, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by EBSA, a revenue intelligence platform used to identify risk in the pipeline and score customer engagement and is sponsored by the Global Sales Operations Association and the UK Revenue Operations Network. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. Today, we're joined by Max Sterling, who is a sales operations manager at Adama. Max, welcome to the show. Thanks for inviting me. Glad to be here, Tom. So let's kick off and understand your journey, which I believe started in sales and marketing um, in the practitioner area and then shifted into operations. So how did that transition happen? Yeah, so I mean, it, it actually goes slightly further back than that. So obviously, my career hasn't been hugely long. I'm still quite young. Um, I started off in business, actually in sort of manufacturing department of an electronics firm. So I would sit and work on printed circuit boards and adjust lenses. And it was there that I got this sort of addiction to continuous improvement. You know, if they got me to sit down and do a task, I'd always try and look at ways to make it more efficient, make it faster, reduce wastage. So I really got that into my mind at an early early age. And then when I moved into sales and marketing, I was also working on processes within those teams. And again, that drive for continuous improvement meant that I was sort of naturally drawn to sales operations. I wanted to improve processes. I want to empower people with data. So when I was offered a, uh, a project to deploy Salesforce to the, the organization and kind of be rid of manual spreadsheets, I really leapt at the opportunity and it was there that I cemented my uh, desire to be in sales operations. Where do you think the drive for continuous improvement comes from? Um, tricky one. I think it was uh, probably being frustrated at the status quo. So if I can see something that's 
that's not working quite right or can, that can be optimized, it, it actually frustrates me in the very back of my mind. So <laughs> um, that's probably the biggest driver. Makes total sense. You, you've just given us two uh, phrases almost at the start of the episode, which I think could even be the title of the episode. So two little gems early on. So the first is this passion for continuous improvement. And then the second is empowering reps with data. Awesome. Awesome start, Max. So now could you just um, bring us up to speed with the current sales or, or revenue operation um, at Adama, e.g. how many reps are you working with and how many people in the ops team? Yeah, so um, at the moment, so I'm sales operations manager at Adama and within the sales team, we have four salespeople. We've got four client directors um, and I've got another sort of analyst working with myself in sales operations. So it's actually, it's quite a small team, but we get a lot of, lot of work done for what we are. What is the key to getting a lot of work done as a sales ops function? For me, it's uh, driving simplicity. So making sure that everyone within that team has a clear view on what we're doing and we're all working off the same sheets. So whether that's processes in Salesforce or rolling up to the same reports that we all produce as a team or focusing on those key deals that are really important for the business, it's just making sure that um, we're all aligned towards the same goal. And do you do that with like a weekly or daily meeting? Yeah, so we use a we use a weekly meeting that goes across departments. So it's really important in our line of work to involve the services side of the business. So we need to be talking daily with the service delivery teams, with resourcing teams, um, also finance on occasion. So you can't work in a siloed fashion um, when you've got when you're delivering services to customers because they expect things to done to be done by certain times, they expect them to be done to a certain quality. And it's not as if you're shipping a product out the door. And that's where the collaboration is is really important. So those weekly meetings are crucial, actually, between the sales team and the other teams. What would you say was the most impactful thing the sales ops function did in 2020? So in 2020, we restructured the way we reported on on our sort of data as an organization. So we went from having a sort of a legacy model that came from the previous company that we we left and then became a, a sole entity as a Dharma. And we actually looked at our processes and what we currently report and said, okay, what do we want our new data model to be? You know, whether it was by line of business, whether it was by product type. And then we reshifted all of the data in the organization towards that new model. And it made everything so much more simple. You know, reports worked out of the box. Um, it was more intuitive for the salespeople to enter deals. So that was really a, a key change for us in 2020. And then moving into 2021, do you have a list of priorities uh, that you're going to tackle? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, for me, it's about taking that sort of reporting level that you've got at the moment and diving into a deeper level of analysis that can help people, whether it's at a senior level, a middle management level, or even sort of base users make better decisions. So it's going into business intelligence, that added layer of reporting, um, whether it's with additional tools or expanding the data model that you have at the moment to make sure that we can drive that. So Alex, I think you have a bit of experience here, right? Pulling out 
information to show internal stakeholders. Yeah, absolutely. And um, let's put it as a question. So, do you, so you mentioned obviously three levels. So, so yeah, end users, middle management, and sort of senior stakeholders. Do you have a? Uh, you're going to go top down, bottom up. Have you got? Have you thought about a plan for for how to to satisfy reporting requirements like that? So it's early days at the moment. Um, I mean, in keeping with the company values, we believe in empowering everyone. So if if someone at the senior level can see the data, this that someone at the end user level, unless it's particularly confidential, should be able to see that too. Uh, and that way, then everyone's on the same page, as I mentioned earlier. Um, so I don't think we've really taken an approach to it yet, but I'm definitely keen to to make it as transparent as possible. Uh, sounds, sounds great. I think indeed the, the democratizing of insight can make a massive difference. And, it, and it's really empowering to teams as well, not that the sort of all the core information is shared, shared across the business. I, I just found, and maybe again, it'll be different in your situation, but often that um, obviously different stakeholders will have a slightly different slant that they, they, they want on the data. And I, I tend to find that the higher you go, the more it, it helps to, to start. I think top down tends to help because again, you, you get things so that someone's boss is looking at something and the people below want to kind of know what their boss is looking at. And it, that kind of approach works without saying, I don't care about the users. I'm all about about the people with the shiny titles. Um, yeah, so that might be something worth worth thinking about. Um, but that's cool. I did also have another question just on some of the pieces you're saying. It didn't make sense just to jump in any point, but you mentioned simplicity a couple of times. Tom flagged it at the beginning. And I wondered, um, I mean, it's obviously it's a great concept, something that I think a lot of us would, would want to, to be doing in our process, but do you have any like top tips around how you manage to keep things simple um, particularly given, again, you might mention about data and, and there's just so many potential data points that we can have. Um, so have you got any top tips on simplicity? Yeah, definitely. So one, one, a top tip for me is to keep things objective rather than subjective. So if you imagine if someone's got criteria for how they might um, assess a lead or assess a deal and they say, well, I kind of take a gut feel on it. Um, I tend to know these things. Ask them to actually write down what those criteria are. Is it the size of the company they're looking at? Is it the uh, length of the call they had with the prospect? If they can actually write down what those criteria are, it can be shared within the team. And then that can drive the process to say what actually helps us win deals, what helps us secure prospects. And not only that, that criteria can then be used to implement within the CRM. So you can go into the land of automation and then you're saving people's time too and making it more efficient. So that's how you build the engine um, using simplicity, sort of delving right into the criteria that people are using, perhaps subconsciously and within their minds, but getting it written down. I want to talk about your your ambition within the organization or within the world of sales ops. You, you have this passion for making processes simple and improving them. Where do you think that takes you within an organization? It, would that be leading a sales ops function somewhere, whether it be Adama or elsewhere? Or it, would you think that will take you elsewhere inside a business? I think, to be honest, I think it will keep me within sales operations. Um, I was naturally drawn to it in the first place. And the reason why I'd probably stay in there is because sales ops has got such a, a special, a unique place in the organization where it's fixing processes at the base level, also reporting at the end level, sort of the outcome stuff. 
And then it's also doing all the analysis that's driving the company towards its goals. So you're working with so many other teams and also at quite a senior level at points where in other roles, you wouldn't usually have that span of, of variety within the work. So for me, I'm almost doing a different job every single day and, and I love it. So some days I might spend sort of a week just delving into analysis reports and then another week I might be switched on to process and it's things that we want to fix as a business. Um, and that's what really keeps the, the role interesting for me. Okay, let's talk about forecasting. Do we have any tips? I assume potentially the forecast would have been messed around a little, a little bit in 2020 or even in 2021. Um, first, if you could just explain your forecasting process and then explain how we're kind of trying to get over this in 2021. Yeah, so forecasting is that nut that everyone wants to crack, isn't it? It's, um, it's probably top of the agenda for a lot of sales ops teams. And for us, uh, forecasting is initially driven by sales so obviously, they're the, they're the ones at the coalface. They're the ones speaking to the client. So we take the initial information that we get from sales, and then that's ingested into sort of a, a, a tool that automatically profiles what that revenue could look like. And as a services business, that's really important because our revenue isn't just a, a snapshot. It, it sort of flows out depending on how the work is done. So that tool is really important for us in showing how that initial sale translates to a revenue curve throughout the year. Can you share the name of that tool? Or did you build it in-house? So it's not an in-house tool. Um, it's, it's called Kimble and it's a piece of professional services automation. Amazing. All, all makes total sense. So we're, we're taking the the insights or the feeling um, from the reps and then feeding that into this tool, which is going to help you forecast forward. Do you, clearly some reps may may have biases in the way they report data. And, and I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, how do you manage that when you're trying to accurately forecast? Do, do you have a profile for each different rep because you know that one rep may be more optimistic than another? Yeah, that's always going to be the case when you're working with individuals, isn't it? Um, you have some some people in sales, which is quite natural to be quite positive about deals. You know, they they always go in there for a hopeful attitude, and they want to attack it. And then you other have others who are more realistic. In order to balance it out, it really takes a management overview. You need someone with kind of an object objective viewpoint, uh, and then being able to look at all of those deals and then gauge: okay, is that one potentially being over forecasted? This one being under forecasted? When actually delving into the details, you can use a methodology like Medic in order to qualify the deals and say, is this probability or stage that you're forecasting actually reflective of the evidence that you've received? So that's one of the, you can kind of look at it an evidence-based approach using a sales methodology like Medic. Could you, could you break that down for the audience? So MEDIC is a, a sales methodology. It's an acronym that stands for metrics, economic buyer, decision criteria, decision process, identify pain, and champion. Now, what all of those are is they're, they're just qualifiers. So it's about asking the right questions with the, the prospects in order to qualify, A, is this a deal for us as a company? Can we deliver the services that the client needs? Because that's the most important thing. If we can meet their needs, we'll likely get the sale too. 
The second one is, is it a deal that's that's worth my time? Are they just asking questions and trying to get some uh, some knowledge from us, or are they genuinely interested and have a pain point that needs to be fixed? Uh, and what Medic does, it breaks it down into the pain the customer is experiencing, so why they want your services, or rather why they need your services, and then also how to get to the point of helping them. So the decision criteria, the decision process, and which people you've got to liaise with. So who are your key contacts? So your champion is that person who's uh, really going to be helped by your services within the, the client organization. And then your economic buyer refers to the approval process and who's got to sign it off. An encyclopedic knowledge of <laughs> of sales because i put you on the spot there max didn't i and i wasn't sure if you're going to pull through but you pulled through with the with the acronym but also the def, the um the meaning behind the words are very impressed in that it, but it does make total sense having a reliable methodology or standard way of assessing a deal regardless of the emotions of, of the salesperson cheers tom thanks for the feedback <laughs> final question before we um go on to the the most important question, which is about relationships with sales reps. Um, Do you have any strategies or tips for building a relationship with a rep that will enable you to influence or change their behavior? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the first port call is they've got to trust you. So you've got to work with them rather than against them. So you don't want to be someone who's, who's breathing down their neck saying, why, why is your data always a mess? And how are you doing against targets and all this sort of stuff? Because then they'll actively avoid you. They, they, you won't be someone they want to associate with. So first and foremost, you want to help them. What data do they need in order to drive their sales? Give them that. What tools do they need to drive their sales? Make sure they have that with them too. And if they're worried about something or they want to know how they're performing against their target, you can show them. And you can also be that person who's the sort of sole help within the organization for sales. So you're the one who can sort their problems internally. You can go to resourcing, make sure that something gets sorted for them. You can liaise with finance to get an invoice resolved. You can be their, their problem solver, their champion internally. So that's the main thing that I found when building a relationship is to be a helper and not a hindrance uh, and definitely not someone to, to judge their performance. Totally makes sense. Um, it's almost like you're the you're the fixer. You're you're going to yeah. solve their problems, and you're not going to be the person who's coming annoying them to do stuff and, and judging them. So that all makes total sense. Final question, then Max: Who in the world of sales ops would you most like to take for lunch? Uh, so that's a tricky one. I, I'm not sure if there's anyone within sales ops who who I'd actually go after. I think it would probably be me. At, famous business person, you know, I'd really like to sit down with the likes of um, Marston Sorrell and just see how on earth did they spin up a business of that size. Uh, and actually, increasingly, it'd probably be uh, someone like Ben Francis at Gymshark, you know, someone my age, who's got a billion, billion pound business and just say, how did you do it? Um, grow so quickly, and yet so sustainably at the same time, because to me, that that is incredible. And it's, um, a trick of the trade I'd love to know. Makes sense. A broader answer. Max, this was an incredible um, interview. Um, I, I'm very confident that you're going to have an amazing future in sales ops uh, because you're, you're relatively early in your career compared to other guests we've had on. But the 
wisdom that you've shared already, it has been pretty amazing. Um, it's still those two, two points from the start that I think we can highlight, which is the, this focus on continuous improvement and then the empowerment of reps with data. But then I also did really enjoy your approach or ethos to working with reps as well. So I think that's going to be valuable for the audience. Max, thank you for coming on. Appreciate it, Tom. Thanks. Uh, thanks to you too, Alex. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales of Demystified podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.